as they were dismissing children church, I think there was a comment that maybe I should join the kids. And I, I, I don't know. There, there might be a better place in church to be this morning, but, you know, with the children, I probably meet all the criteria of being, you know, young, young, and, young at heart at least. That being said, this morning, I want to pick up where we left off in Mark chapter 5, kind of the concluding piece of this series when we look at verses 16 and following. And so if you get to Mark chapter 5, if you will look to verse number 16, when you get there, if you will stand um, in honor of God's word. Verse number 16 reads this way. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we come to Scripture that we're reminded time and time again of the effect that you have on people and how it ought to inspire bold proclamation of truth in the midst of those around us to hear our story. Lord, our, our witness and our impact, our influence is greater than we realize. And I pray that before today is over, we would all share the responsibility of going home and telling our friends and family all about you. Lord, that the whole world might hear about you, starting with us. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So there's this fantastic event that has taken place, and there's this demon-possessed man that has been freed of his, his demon possession, and there's this outcry from the community to, to, to come and see what has happened. And this, these who, who observed it ran into the city and told those people, and those people immediately show up. The passing of time is not recorded here, how long it took the people from the city to show up, because when the demons were cast out, they entered this group of swine that ran off down the hill and into the water. And it says the people showed up, and they were afraid. And in verse number 16, we see where the story picks up. And it says, and those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. This morning, if you're taking notes, I want you to make note of number one, which says the news of Jesus will be spread with or without you. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Jesus will be, will be talked about. I, this is truth. I don't know about you, but when you look throughout the scriptures, you see people talking about Jesus. If you watch television, people talk about Jesus. If you read print, whether it's in books or magazines or, or newspapers, people are talking about Jesus. They're still doing it today. I don't know about you, but I have to warn you, if you want to learn about Jesus, I recommend you pick this book up and study it. Find a Bible and read about Jesus there first. If you want to know about Jesus, please do not turn on the History Channel. Because 
if I didn't know as much as I have, have studied about Jesus and have studied personally in the Bible and had gone to all these seminary classes and college classes about Jesus, I might be just like anyone else and look at that History Channel stuff and think that it's accurate, but it's not. It's wildly inaccurate. I don't care how many PhDs or prestigious institutions employ the people that talk about Jesus on the History Channel. I don't know where they get their information from. It's not accurate. People are going to talk about Jesus with or without you. Why is it so important then that you tell people about Jesus? It's because if you know him personally and if you have studied this book, you can tell them the real story about Jesus. But people will talk about him with or without you. In this passage, we see this picture of this group that are disclosing what is happening. It says, and those who saw it told them how it happened. This is a crazy story, and it's hard breaking it down into this many different messages because you miss the continuity of the man who was chained just a few chapters ago, or not chapters, but verses ago, that had broken his chains, that was living free, but not living free, that was demon-possessed, that when Jesus encounters him, falls down to worship, and as he worships, Jesus relieves him of this burden of, of possession, and, and as a result, his life is transforming in front of their eyes, and that because of it, Jesus' fame is spreading. You want to know one of the most impactful things that will happen in the world around you? is when people find out about what has happened to you because of Jesus. Because oftentimes when a person comes to Jesus, their sinful life is transformed into a life that is modeled or trying to be modeled after who Christ is and what he's doing. That people are like, man, you're different. But one of the greatest crimes in all of church life is, is that we keep it here at the church and we don't take it home with us. But the world around us, when they find out the things that are different about us, it'll mess them up. It will absolutely mess the world around you up. You see, when they were given this story, the next verse says that the people who heard it says, then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. So if you're following along and taking notes this morning, number two is some would prefer that Jesus would leave. I want you to know that there's a group of people in the world that are not interested in having life change. They want everything to be just as it has always been. They want it to be as comfortable as it has always been comfortable. And prices might rise a little bit, but if we could just outwork the, the increase, then we could just have a comfortable life. That's all we want. But when Jesus gets into our life, he invites people to leave the comfort of their community and their homes and their family to go halfway around the world to do mission projects. That doesn't sound too comfortable, does it? Some people would prefer that Jesus just get out of the room. Some churches, in my estimation, don't like change. And as a result, they would ask Jesus to stop meddling. And it's a shame in a world that we live in where we, where we proclaim the cross of Christ, but then we also desire comfort above change. You know, there's a standard in the railroading industry. It has been a standard for a long time. There's a, the, the name for it is the U.S. Standard Railroad Gauge. And if you didn't know, and, and everybody will be well-versed in this, hopefully by the end of the day, you'll be able to go home and tell everybody about this, this standard unit of measurement. Four feet, eight and one-half inches. Look at your neighbor and say, four feet, Eight and one half inches. 
the United States Railroad standard unit of measurement for the gauge on a railroad is four foot, eight and one half inches. You say, well, why is it that wide in that particular? Well, I'll tell you because at the time of the revolution, when we decided that we didn't want to be English anymore, the British expatriates that were fashioning the railways for the infrastructure in America just happened to have the same tools that they used when they were British. So they did just like Great Britain did, and they built railways exactly to the same measurement. They're like, okay, so we did it just like the British. Well, the funny thing about that is, is that the British rail engineers did it just exactly like the pre-rail tram guys did it. And it was four foot, eight and one half inches. And you're like, this seems like this would change over time. But it hasn't. And you say, well, why did they use that for the tramways? Well, I, I'm here to tell you it's because that's the same size as a wagon cart. A wagon cart had a wheel set on it for most traditional wagons of four foot, eight inch and one half measurement wide. You say, well, why did they use that? Well, it just happens that well before the British used it, and the funny thing about the British using it is, is that the British are on an island, and we're all the way across the great big ocean. But there was another group that defined the measurement, and it was the Roman Empire. And some of you have heard this before. The Roman Empire made three things famous, three things that were essential for all life. They made Roman law, which gave us Roman peace, which offers, offered us Roman roads. And we talk about the gospel message that we proclaim from, the, from the, the book of Romans as the Roman road, but it's actually a play on the fact that Rome gave us roads everywhere. Well, Rome giving us roads, their roads were designed to be the perfect size for their horse-drawn chariots. Four foot, eight and one half inches wide. That's a long time, folks, for something not to change. Do you know how they got to that measurement? And it's real logical. And some of you know this story. You might start to snicker just a little bit. Two Roman war horses, their rear end set, four foot, eight and one half inches wide. And that's how they yoked them so that they could drag these chariots. And the legions of Romans who conquered the, the known world at the time made roads that were just this wide, and they made ruts in the roads, which would lead us to make rails that wide for trolleys and trams and then, and then steam engines and coal engines alike. And we're still using it today. And the funny thing about that is, is that it hasn't changed and in Jesus' time, there's a group of people that are looking at just how things have always been, and they're a little uncomfortable with the change that's in front of them. And just like in the days of Rome all the way to the days of, of United States rail engineers, sometimes the only thing that's causing anything to be changed or not changed is a couple rear ends. You think I'm joking. It was meant to be funny. But these people don't like Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is going to change the measurement of everything. He's here to change the measurement of absolutely everything. The width of the railway, 
the distance between us and heaven, the measurement that it takes for us to find salvation, all of this is transformed because of Jesus. And it makes the world around him uncomfortable. And it's hard because they begged him to leave. And it's not like Jesus puts up some great big fight or reason why he shouldn't go. They asked him to leave, and what's he do? Verse number 18. And he, he had gotten into the boat. I mean, just how casual it is. Did you realize that you could ask Jesus to leave you alone, and he will? Don't ask him to leave you alone. It says that when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. If you're following along in the notes, number three is true believers want to be with Jesus. This demon-possessed man who was in his right mind and has been, had fresh clothes put on him is pleading with Jesus. He is begging Jesus, let me go with you. And, and there's lots of good reasons why that would be... A, an epic moment in the story if Jesus was like, yeah, come on. But Jesus knows something that's true that we need to know. There are lots of key moments in the Bible when we see it, and, and this isn't the perfect way to illustrate it this morning, and there are better passages that, that exemplify this point. But in this point, you see some truth that you have to lean in and begin to embrace and gather up, and that is Jesus could have easily, at any moment, saved a small group of people in the midst of the world that he lived in and forsaken the rest of us throughout time. But because Jesus was intent to save all of humanity throughout all of time and give us all this opportunity until his coming again, he doesn't do that thing. Instead, he commissions people like this man to go home and talk about him so that more people could know about him. You see, if Jesus had just collected him up right then and there, his community would have been robbed of the opportunity to know about him. His family and his friends would have been robbed. You, you might want something from Jesus, and Jesus might tell you no, because he might have a great big plan for the local group that you're going to work with. And as a result, when you ask God for something, and you ask Jesus for something, and you find out that the answer is no, you might just say to yourself, I don't know what you're up to, but I like that you're in charge, and I'm going to be okay with whatever you've asked me to do next. Because Jesus tells him, you can't come on the boat. Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to see this guy's friends. I mean, this dude was a demon-possessed man that they chained up to a cave system outside of the city who carved on himself and howled at the night, and people were scared of him. This dude's probably got some gnarly friends. You might have some gnarly friends too. I'll never forget some of my friends after I come to know the Lord and got serious about serving him. They would just look at me and they'd be like, man, something is different. And I'd say, yeah, something's different. And I would tell them about Jesus and they would look at me like, uh-huh. Just excited for the car ride to be over. I remember one guy asked me for a car ride, and I was listening to some Christian music, 
music and talking all about Jesus. And, and he was like, this is not the you I knew two weeks ago. And he got out of the vehicle, and he never called me for another ride. And I was like, I lost some friends because I started following Jesus. People were not interested in having me around to talk about him. But I gained some new ones. And I met a lot of people that became friends that didn't know Jesus, that needed to know him. But he says, go home and tell your friends. It might be the scariest thing in the world. You know, I'm, I'm well aware, and, and as, I, as the older I get and the more I learn, I realize that people in my life, that, that they're not outgoing extroverts like myself. And they're like, I will clean up trash, and I will put in data into the system at the church, and I will, I will mow lawns, and I will paint buildings, but you want me to go talk to somebody about Jesus, I'm having a problem. Maybe a little panic. Maybe a great big lot of panic. But it's not optional. He looks at this man and he's like, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Wow. Wow. If you followed none of Jesus' instructions besides this one, your world would be forever changed. If every single person who claimed Christ and claimed following him went home and just told their friends. But I suggest to you that many do not. You see, sometimes things come at a cost. You know, Winston Churchill, at a key moment in World War II, uh, was, it was informed by his secret service that they had cracked some important code, and the Nazis were using this code vigorously to communicate their plans. And, and when he first learned that they had cracked the code, some really important information got put on his desk. And that first bit of information said, they're going to bomb this town called Coventry. And the loss of life is anticipated to be in the hundreds. And Churchill had to make a decision right then and there if he was going to act on that and interrupt that and let them know that the code had been broken or he was going to be patient and wait, knowing that hundreds would die so that he could save maybe thousands or tens of thousands down the road. And Churchill decided the hard decision. He decided to go with number two. And he saved untold number of people down the road, sacrificing a small amount of people up front, which is an unthinkable task. And aren't you glad you don't have to make such decisions? And we think to ourselves, this is an impossible question to ask us, and we can't answer it. And I will tell you, is it though? Jesus oftentimes looks at us and he, he invites us into a thing. We want to get in the boat with him, but he tells us to go home and we say, but it's going to cost us something. And he says, but it will save so many more down the road. I want you to go and do the hard thing and talk to people about me. You see, the really cool part about when you do this, and this is a little bit of encouragement for those of you that are panicking a little bit inside about having to share this with anyone you get to talk about him and not about you. Go tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Just brag on Jesus. We know the stats of the great athletes in our state. 
We know the stats of some of the great athletes across the nation. We know how old quarterbacks that have outlived their prime are. We know about all the scandals and all the things, and we could talk about all of that. And man, and we could talk about how cold it is outside. None of that matters compared to this. You see, if you're following along and you're keeping notes this morning, I would have you know that number four is that each of us has a responsibility to share our story. And that story says that at the center of my story is a, is a Savior who transformed my life. He absolutely got deep down into my life, and he took away my desire to do those things that, that didn't line up with this Bible and he's still working on some of those, by the way. Work in progress, just like you. But I know that we have an opportunity to go home and tell your friends about the good things that God has done. You see, right now, somebody's at home. And they think of you as friend, and they, they know you go to church, but they don't really understand why. You know how I know this to be true? Because in my life, a, a name that is prominent in the ears of the people that, that have grown up in this greater community will tell you that, that some of them knew my grandfather. I used to tell my grandfather about the Lord. And he used to look at me like he would rather watch paint dry than hear me talk about Jesus. He believed the church was about money. But you know, it took a friend of his coming to him. He had a peer that, that we invited into the house and said, would you share with him one more time about Jesus? And his good friend came to our house and sat with him in his bedroom and laid out the plan of salvation. And my grandfather accepted the Lord on, on that day. And he told Mac, he said, Mac, I, I just always believed church was about money. And Mac was like, it's about so much more. You see, my grandfather was reached by his friend. Which friend of yours needs to hear? Which friend of yours is waiting for you to tell them the truth about what's happened? Surely you know someone. They say statistically that the longer you're a believer, the less lost people you'll know. I believe that's true. You know why I believe that's true? Because you will stop hanging out with lost people and you'll start hanging out with church people. You know, and I'm going to say one of the weirdest church things you're ever going to hear from a pastor, and that is, you need to meet some people that don't go to church. And you need to be their genuine friend and care about them. And you need to tell them your story. That neighbor that you've never met, that person that you see from time to time that you kind of are acquainted with, you see, the beautiful part of what happens is so organic. He goes in verse 20, and, and the, the, the series is wrapped up on this verse. It says, and he departed and began to proclaim. I, I love this. He begged Jesus, take me with you. And Jesus is like, no, go home. And it doesn't say he throws a fit. It says that he does it. I wish that when we didn't get what we wanted, we didn't throw a fit. We just said, yes, Lord, tell us what to do. We'll go do that. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all 
that Jesus had done. Now, Decapolis was a collection of cities that were all Gentile in nature, not Jewish at all, no expectation of the Messiah the way that the Hebrews would have had it. And he takes this fame of Jesus into a Gentile place, meaning a place where they didn't have, you know, Bible teaching from the Old Testament in any way, shape, or form. And he starts talking about Jesus. And it's okay that he's doing it because it says, and all marveled. And there's this picture, isn't there? There's this picture of him taking the gospel that has impacted his life into a foreign city amongst the knowledge of pagan and foreign gods and just talks about Jesus and it doesn't matter that they hadn't heard of the Messiah before. They still marvel. It doesn't matter how foreign it might feel for you to take the gospel to your friends who have never once been inside of a church. It doesn't matter. So you have to decide today as I draw this to a conclusion. Four feet, eight and one half inches is the measurement of how it's always been. But Jesus takes what was the Roman road and makes the one way to heaven, and it looks very different than the standard unit of measurement. And I want to know today, do you want to be changed? Do you want to take this message somewhere that it's never been? Do you want to be the person who listens to Jesus and says, one day we're going to go to heaven together and we're going to be there. But today, until that day comes, and as long as you give me breath, I'll go home and I will tell them about you. I hope it's true for us today that we'll sacrifice a little to save a lot, that we'll know that he's given us this little bit of instruction and we can be just like this man. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite Justin to come and I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to give you this opportunity. Before I do that, I want to share with you one more story. When I spent some time in Belarus, I, I, and I love to tell this story, and, and some of you may have heard it before, but we're in a position where we're inviting people from our classes to come with us. And it's kind of doing it very carefully because it's against the rules there. Aren't you grateful that you live in a nation where it's not against the rules for you to invite people to church? I have been in countries where it's against the rules. Okay? But carefully, we can invite people to be part of a thing that's happening. And as a result, a young man comes to church. And you know what he says to me? Something that burned me in my soul, something that shattered me. He comes to the door, and I didn't think anybody was going to show up because first service came and nobody came, and the second service is along, and nobody's there, and we're five or ten minutes into it, and he springs to the door, and, man, and I kind of work my way up to sit next to him, and I sit down, and I said, man, I am so glad you're here. And you know what he says to me? Now, remember, we're, we're teaching them conversational English, so he doesn't know a lot of English, but he knows these words. I've never been to church before. And I was like, dang. There are people in the world that have never been to church before. But you know, God began to teach me and show me that there are people right here that have never, never been to church before. 
that they think it's about something besides what it is about, just like my grandfather. And it's us that tells the story that helps them see that it's not that, that it's something else. It's us. We're the instructed ones from Jesus that helps them to see that it's not the thing they think it is, that it's about him and what he's done for us. Of all the world religions I've studied and all the different books that I've looked at, Christianity is the one religion where God does something for mankind. Not where mankind has to do something to please a God. So today you might be in this place and you might be saying, I don't know this Jesus that you've described and you might want to come and talk to me and I'll be thrilled. Brandon will be here, I'll be here, Boyd will be at the back. If you're not courageous enough to ask us this morning before an audience and you want to catch us as soon as things are over, don't, don't get out of here today without talking to us. But furthermore, if you're in this place and you know who Jesus is, I want you to begin to pray right now for that person that you're supposed to go home and tell them. Because I believe that we're all supposed to go home and tell somebody about Jesus. Stand with me today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we thank you that as we've come into this place, the scriptures that are laid out before us are given to us, that we might see an example of a man who was forever changed And I pray the same change would be upon the hearts of each and every person that's come through the doors today, those watching online, those that will hear about this message later. I pray that we would be the people that are changed and that we would embrace that because we're still here and that you haven't permitted us to get in the boat and go home with you, that you expect us to go and tell. I pray that we will. I pray that each and every one of us would have such a burden that we couldn't even get home before we had to pick up the phone and say, hey, can I talk to you about something? More, we can think of someone, a grandparent, a friend, a relative, a sibling, maybe a wayward child. But Lord, I believe there's another group in this room that might today cry out and say, I need to know you for the very first time. I need to know you. And if that's true, Lord, I pray that we would be ready to receive them ready to guide them to you. And I pray that they'd have the courage to step out in faith and come down and talk to us. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.